Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. This episode of Mission Log is brought to you by Transporter, your own personal cloud-type storage device thing. If you've used Dropbox, you've got an idea of what the Transporter is and does. It lets you store and share files without having them take up a ton of space on your computer. Okay, you've got Dropbox. Why do you care? Well, there are a few reasons that you might. First, with Transporter, your digital info is not stored on some third party's servers. It's stored on a device that you own and control. That way, you know that only you and the people with whom you share have access to your information. The second reason to give Transporter a look is the price. 100 gigabytes of storage on Dropbox currently runs customers $99 a year. Stop paying that and there goes your storage. Why do that? With the Transporter, you choose the size that's right for you. 500 gigabytes, 1 terabyte, or 2 terabytes. You pay once, and that's it. Then you've got access to your files whenever and wherever you have an online connection just like you would with less personal cloud services. Plus, they have apps for portable devices, too. And that really just scratches the surface of what a transporter can do for you. Find out more at filetransporter.com. Or if you get there soon, they're giving away a couple of transporters at filetransporter.com slash missionlog. Use it as a backup. Use it as an off-site backup. Use it to store sensitive info or use it to share pictures with friends and family. Find out more at filetransporter.com and enter to win one at filetransporter.com slash mission log. Transporter. Storage and sharing made simple and secure. And a big thanks to them for sponsoring this week's show. So, John, I say we break with tradition. Uh-oh. Yeah, Uh-oh. I know. We got an email, we got an email from, uh, from someone. And normally, emails would, you know, sit unread for a very long time and uh, and and you know then we do a supplemental like in a month and a half two months three months five maybe <laughs> and address whatever emails were there but this email came across and, and I, I honestly feel like we need to address it at the top okay before we get to anything computer has not even said anything at this point it's just you and me because we're gonna we're gonna talk uh, directly to ian and then anybody else who shares ian's feelings you cool with that yeah this sounds very serious but yeah go ahead. it feels very serious to me honestly yeah. um Ian wrote in, hi guys, maybe I'm getting the wrong impression from your first two TNG episodes, but it seems like this is just an hour-long bashing of TNG because it's not TOS. This is wrong. Uh, That is wrong. Who's the old guy in the chair? It's bad they keep calling back to TOS episodes to cement their place in the canon. I don't remember you picking uh, so many holes in TOS. Quite simply, if you don't like other Star Trek series apart from TOS, then stop making podcasts about them. I really enjoy Mission Log, but if this is how it's going to be for the next decade or so... I'll pass. Uh, he does finish the email, Cheers, which, which I thought oh. was nice. I mean, yeah, that is nice. It was yeah. very cool. And, and cheers, yeah. cheers back to you, Ian, and, and also good on you. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I will say, honestly, we do appreciate the email, especially if it does give us a chance to sort of explain where we're coming from. I certainly don't want to say correct you. I mean, because you say it feels like, and, you know, 
you're you're certainly entitled to your feelings. There's bound to be at least one episode of Star Trek that says that. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people have said, and and you know, correct me if I'm wrong, John, or you know, jump in with whatever your thoughts are here. A lot of people sure. have said that at least the first couple of seasons of Star Trek: The Next Generation. Well, to be generous, they're uneven. I mean, there are some people who have said they're bad. There are some people who have come to us and said, boy, the next couple of years are going to be tough for you. Well, and I I find it ironic that uh, we should post this email in front of our uh, discussion about Code of Honor, which even when you talk about the uneven nature of the first couple of seasons of Next Gen, (laughs) you're talking about a really (laughs) uneven episode and a much derided episode. If ever there was an episode that looked like the underside of Farpoint Station... That would be it. Oh, man. Code of Honor could be it. <laughs> not not to spoil it. Maybe there's something. Uh, maybe. Wow, maybe, uh, maybe. Maybe we shouldn't have said that part right there. Yeah. Hey, here's what I would say. We are we are coming up. I mean, first of all, this is my this is my Star Trek series. And I know John uh, identifies mm-hmm. more um, closely with the original series. I identify so much more with uh, Next Generation. This is my series. I love some of the stuff that's already happening with Data. I love some of the stuff that's already happening with Wesley. I love Patrick Stewart. He is just, I mean, he is, yeah, he's yeah. my captain. When people ask me which captain is my captain, my captain is Jean-Luc Picard. There is a lot of great stuff coming. But there's also a lot of stuff that may be, well, that we, that we do what we always do. We question it. And, and, and I will say, if you don't remember us ever picking holes in, in, any, uh, in any original series episodes... Um, I, I have how many words is it? Uh, three words for you: uh, the empath. That's two. That's two words. Uh-huh. And, and cat's paw. Cat's, <laughs> right. cat's paw was right. one word in that title, right? Yeah, yeah, it was. I believe it was. Yeah. So, I mean, I really do thank you for your email, if for no other reason than because you do give us a chance to address, you know, our feelings about the next generation. I would say, just like the next generation, our feelings about it are going to evolve as we move through. Um, and yeah, I, you know, here's a weird thing that I don't think you'll ever hear John say, but you know, keep the faith. (laughs) (laughs) Well said, Ken. I mean, I I think the important thing here, the, the other part of the equation here is this is mission log. Um, one of the things that Rod asked us to do was to look at every episode objectively from our own points of view Mm -hmm. and not, you know, not have any sacred cows here. If there's something that we like, we should talk about how we like it. If there's something we don't like, we should talk about how we don't like it. But all of that is leading to uh, leading down the path, rather, of figuring out what are the morals, meanings, and messages. So we're not setting out to make fun of anything. We do have fun. When, well, and we do poke fun. I mean, we do. And we do poke fun. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but that's a, it's a very different thing in my mind from just making fun of a show. This is not Mystery Science Theater 3000. That was never the intention with what we do. Right. Um, but at the same time, we're doing a show and we want to keep it entertaining. And part of that is just my sense of humor and your sense of humor. The, the two things that I, would, that I would add to that, and then we should probably actually get to the show that we're talking about instead of talking about the show, although honestly, I would rather talk about Mission Log. <laughs> <laughs> right. and the, the two things that I would say about that is, is um, anything like that that we do, we honestly, are, well, I can't speak for John, although I think I know, you know, I haven't worked with him for a couple of years now. <laughs> anything, that we, anything that we do that's spoken fun is still done in love. I love Star yeah. Trek and I love The Next Generation. 
In fact, I love the next generation in particular. In fact, I'm getting a room for me and the next generation later tonight. Okay, I'm just saying. <laughs> I love next generation. So any any sort of poking fun that we do, we actually do we actually do with a bit of love. And I will say, not to spoil the next seven seasons of this, we're in an interesting place with next gen. I think um, yeah. Star Trek started off the original series started off so incredibly strong. And devolved into sort of an uneven, I won't say mess, but it devolved into sort of an uneven thing. I mean, it really, towards the end of the third season, it got very, very, very hit or miss. Mm -hmm. Um, We're in a really neat place with Next Gen. We're starting off very, very, very hit or miss. Um, But I think you're going to see a series, I personally feel like you see a series that actually really comes into its own and then stays there um, uh, down the road. So... And maybe it's just a difference in maybe it's just a difference in well, they are two different shows, aren't they? Mm-hmm. All right. Are we done? I, I think we are. Okay. I, I think the only other thing to say is that part of what we do is sort of speaking for parts of the audience mm-hmm. at, at a certain point. So when we do make a joke about who's the bald guy in the chair, well, that was what a lot of people were thinking in 1987. <laughs> That's true. How am I going to follow this guy? He's never going to be able to fight a Gorn. Yeah, including ah. 15, 15 year old me. Yeah. Singing. What? I, there's a, a bald guy and he's the captain, and, and they named the android Data? Really? No. Did they do that? Wait yeah. a minute. Wait a minute. I'm sorry. You are not allowed to talk bad about Data. <laughs> okay. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 99 Code of Honor. Though you may think you heard us say welcome to Mission Log before, you did not, but now you will. Welcome into Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. Each week on Mission Log, we look at an episode of Star Trek, examining it for messages, morals, meanings, and figuring out whether the whole thing stands the test of time. John, Mission Log is a show steeped in tradition. For example, one of our traditions is to take characteristics of a a new or recently introduced character or culture, say. We exaggerate those. We we play upon those characters and characteristics a bit. uh, And then we go really over the top with the show's intro. What do you say we don't do that today? <laughs> Good call. I was I was a little worried where that was going. Yeah, I don't I don't I mean to go over the top on today's I yeah. I don't even want to joke about what joking about <laughs> Right. Uh, should we tell them what we thought about doing? Uh, no. No? No no no. I mean okay. I, the oh, other okay, thing. Okay. No, the totally yeah, yeah, safe yeah, yeah. thing. There there was a chance and, and yeah. just it's just understand we have already spoiled this episode and we're going to continue to, okay? Mm-hmm. Today's episode, by the way, Code of Honor, episode yes. three in season one of Next Gen. Yes, and so for people who didn't realize that that was this episode, now they're going, oh, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Um, there there was um, briefly talk of just sitting here for 35 minutes going, ah. <laughs> right. Man. Yeah, really? I like that idea. Yeah, uh-huh. it's, it's, uh, yeah it's, it's tough. But here's the thing. The show does, in fact, uh, go on. And I will I will say, if you're thinking there's going to be nothing but bad to come out of this episode, 
Hang on, because there were actually some really interesting character ideas, I think. Um, Ken, I, I'm actually I'm kind of confident in our abilities. You know, if we proved anything was Spock's brain, you know, that that was the most derided, <laughs> the, the most poked fun at episode of the yeah. series. And we got to have a really interesting conversation about it. Yeah. Did you see um, did you see Cat's Paw, though? I mean, not everything has something. I'm just I saying no offense to our own personal Sylvia. And she knows who she is. Yep. Yep. But, yep. Um, that you. Yeah. But but I do think, yeah, you're right. This might be. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say this is going to be as good as Spock's brain, but I would actually say there might be more to pull out of it than Cat's paw. But boy, oh boy, am I skipping ahead, mm-hmm. uh, actually, to the end of the show, which you know is a temptation, as I say. <laughs> um, but we're going to do things the way we do things, and that does, of course, mean getting into uh, John Champion Trivia Town. Yeah, so uh, Ross Mayberry, he was a director of this episode. He was born in Glasgow, Scotland. He had a pretty diverse career as a TV director, hitting all the major shows of the 70s, yes, Kojak included. Uh, his story Why do you on, say Kojak included? I'm sorry. Because, because everybody did Kojak. Did they you really? Know? Oh, yeah, everybody did Kojak. Wow. I just feel like if you, if you weren't doing The Love Boat, you were doing Kojak. Gotcha. Okay. You know? um, so he did all the big shows. Uh, and I feel like his story here is a little bit incomplete. Um, and maybe one might say the episode is a little incomplete. He was fired or possibly left midway through production of Code of Honor. Um, some say that it was his doing that uh, he hired an all-black cast to play the Ligonians. Um, It has also been speculated that he behaved less than professionally with them and that Gene Roddenberry himself fired Mayberry uh, from the job. So either way, there's still a little of uh, uh, backstage drama there that we don't have a complete picture of. It kind of depends on who you ask and who is remembering what details. But the important thing is that Mayberry is gone, and then he gets replaced by Les Landau, and he is uncredited for his directorial work on this episode of Next Gen. Um, He had a few AD credits, assistant director credits, up until that point, um, as well as second unit credits, and I think that's kind of important. Ken, do you you know the difference between second unit and assistant director when it comes to a Hollywood production? I believe an assistant director actually assists the director and a second unit will go out and film like exteriors and, you know, set pieces that that don't require a whole bunch of acting or direction. Right. Well, that's what I found interesting about this. Second unit does exactly what you say. If I need to get shots that don't really require all of the major cast and they're not heavy, important, dramatic moments, mm-hmm. we can get second unit to go do that while the director is working on the important stuff. Um, an AD, though, is typically the logistics guy. So the AD, AD is a tough, punishing uh, job and that person is there to make the schedule for everything they're responsible for all of the ins and outs of the set leaving the director to concentrate on what happens in front of the camera on the performances um, so it, it's kind of a tough step to go from AD to director they're concentrating on totally different things yeah. but I was pleased to see that Landau had some second unit work under his belt and that would hopefully lead him into do a little better job as the director or at least half director on Code of Honor. Um, 
fortunately for Landau, he got a lot more director credits after this change in lineup at Next Gen. So he will show up uh, actually in more of Star Trek uh, the further we go. Now, Catherine Powers, the writer of this episode, had a long pedigree of TV writing before and after Next Gen. Uh, she actually explored a very similar plot line on Stargate SG-1. And it is worth mentioning that the original story draft for Code of Honor had the aliens that we visit depicted as reptilian and the honor code more derivative of feudal Japan. You know, so, I, I wondered mm-hmm. about that, actually, because Picard's like, well, when he brings in the gift... Yeah, he's like, yeah. oh, we have a culture a lot like yours on our planet, and here's something from China. And you're like, <laughs> right? I don't uh, understand. Of course, China and Japan are also very different, but it was it was very it was very odd. But I feel certain we'll get into that and a bunch of other stuff too. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Now um, we've kind of let the cat out of the bag a little, kind of about the feelings. A about little, so <laughs> a little. But it is worth pointing out that. You know, going into this, most of the cast have disavowed this episode of Next Gen, some more vocally and forcefully than others. Uh, Will Wheaton has said that he doesn't even remember making this one, Um, but not out of the question since his moments are not related to the main plot and are already kind of a rehash of what we see of Wesley in Encounter at Farpoint. So not out of the question that an actor would sort of blur those together yeah um, he, he's i mean all of his yes I mean, we can come back to him because i actually think what's happening with his character in this episode even though there's not much is interesting mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. yeah you're right you could have actually cut the wesley parts of this show into just about any episode from the yeah. first season because that's that's kind of what he's doing very true. Um, we do want to talk about a couple of the actor credits here. Um, Jesse Lawrence Ferguson played Lutan, and honestly, he doesn't have that many acting credits. He, he did most of his work before Next Gen, not too much after. Uh, similarly, Carol Selman, who played Yarina, just not a whole lot of credits, not a lot of detail on her biography. Now, on the other hand, uh, James Lewis Watkins, uh, also known as Julian Christopher, who played Hagon, had a huge list of credits to his name, loads of TV and film and voiceover work. So he's kind of the uh, the standout career-wise in terms of the guest stars on today's show. What can one say about Code of Honor? How about this? Ouch. Prologue. The Enterprise is on its way to Ligon 2. The mission? To get a whole bunch of a much-needed vaccine for an impending disease outbreak on Styrus 4. The problem? The Ligonians are very proud. They take honor quite seriously, and they are what some might call traditional. Using their own transporter rather than the ships, the delegation arrives headed by Lutan, their leader. Next to him is Hagon, second in command. They're pretty amused to find that a woman is in charge of security on the Enterprise, but when Hagon approaches Picard with a sample of the vaccine, Yar secures his face right on the cargo bay floor. Hagon is embarrassed. Lutan is intrigued. He might have use for Tasha Yar. Act 1. The Enterprise crew go to great lengths to entertain Lutan and his entourage. They really want that vaccine, but Lutan says the condition is that the Starfleet crew play by their rules. It's all about friendship, respect, and honor. As a token of their new friendship, Lutan asks for a look at a holodeck. After all, they don't have such advanced technology. 
but he wants to be escorted by Lieutenant Yar. Fair enough. Yar takes Lutan and Hagon to an empty holodeck where she decks an Aikido Master simulation and then allows that simulation to deck Hagon. What can I say? Lutan seems to really have a thing for women who can fight. On the way out, Lutan is grateful, very complimentary to the captain, and one last thing. He beams out of there after suddenly grabbing Yar and taking her with him. Act 2. Anybody out there ready for a little gunboat diplomacy? Lutan is not answering Picard's call, and the captain launches a volley of photon torpedoes, not in a deadly way, mind you, just to show the Lagonians that he means business. Kidnapping Yar is regarded as an attack, and they will fight back if necessary. Still no reply from Lutan. All the Enterprise can do is gather information and come up with a plan. Troy thinks there might have been some attraction from the Lagonian men toward the women of the Enterprise, but she thinks Lutan has something else in mind for Yar. Dr. Crusher is getting restless. If we didn't mention earlier just how important that vaccine is, then Crusher will unload an earful of numbers of potential dead on the captain. He gets it, but his hands are tied at the moment. Lutan finally rings up Picard. They have Tasha, but Riker and Troy insist that, playing by the Lagosian rules, Picard needs to ask politely for his officer back. This was all a show to feed Lutan's ego and make him look good to his people. Oh, is that all you want? asks Lutan. Sure, just come down to the planet's surface, and I'll see what I can do. Act 3. After a little debate about whether or not the captain should beam down to a hostile situation... The captain does indeed beam down. Only the captain will do in the Lagosian's eyes. Lutan is in a great mood, and we now get to meet his wife, Yarina. Well, in their culture, she is referred to as the first one. The rules are pretty simple. Yar will be presented at a banquet later that night, and all Picard has to do is ask for her back. Nicely. And say pretty please, with sugar on it. At the banquet, Yar is presented, and Picard puts on his best groveling tone. It's all honor and respect, then Lutan drops the bomb. He has grown a bit smitten with Yar, and he wants her to be his first one. You think Picard was unhappy about this? Try being Yarina for a second. She is really worked up and challenges Yar to a fight to the death. Picard jumps in, saying, absolutely not. Lutan trumps it all. No treaty, no vaccine, and no Lieutenant Yar. The banquet just went from bad to terrible, and the bill hasn't even arrived. That night, Yar is confronted by Picard and Troy. Troy creepily reveals that Yar may have been flattered at Lutan's suggestion. But the reality is that Yar needs to fight Urena to secure the vaccine. And Yar will probably win. But Picard would rather appeal to Lutan's logic. He goes about a negotiation. A little more truth is learned. Lutan has power, but Yurina has all the wealth, as is the custom on their planet. For Lutan, this little fight means that if Yurina wins, no problem. He gets to keep his position and possessions. If Yar wins, well, same thing, only he'll get to keep Yar as well. Once Picard realizes the position Lutan has put himself in, he agrees. In fact, he says he will order Lieutenant Yar to fight. Act 4. Have you forgotten about the other members of the crew by this point? Well, you're in luck, because we now get to check in with Jordi LaForge, who is shaving, and Lieutenant Commander Data, who is trying to tell a joke to LaForge. A kind of pleasant awkwardness follows. 
The two then beam down to help out Captain Picard. He wants to know about the weapons that will be used in combat between Yar and Yurina. Data thinks this might be some kind of joke, but the captain reminds him of their duty to the Prime Directive. There will be no taking what they want. Yar is still trying to reason with Yarina. That's not going too well. Yarina just assumes that Yar is in love with her husband, and she is not going to budge. Jordi and Data enter just to compound the bad news. Those weapons are razor sharp and poisonous. There is no choice but a fight to the death. Meanwhile, Riker has been able to track what's happening on the surface, and the fight time draws near. The whole away team are resigned that there is no other way out. Act 5. Data beams back to the Enterprise. A little side note for Riker. It's a secret, though, and we'll all have to wait for the outcome. It's time for a fight. Let's get ready to rumble. Yar and Yurina enter the arena. Yeah, I just said that. They go after each other with their poison weapons. At one point, Yurina loses grip on hers, and it hits a spectator. He dies. This is getting real. As the fight continues, Yar gains the upper hand, scratching Yurina with her weapon. It's the fatal blow ending the fight, but in a second, the two are beamed up to the Enterprise. On the transporter pad, Dr. Crusher uses a hypo on Yurina. A signal from the Enterprise requests the vaccine, but Picard beams up with his away team and Lieutenant Hagon. On board, they find Yurina, alive and well. Picard assures Lutan that Yurina did die, and now their marriage is dissolved. Yurina chooses Hagon now as her first one. All her wealth goes to him. As for Lutan, well, there is a consolation prize. He will be Yurina's number two. The Lagonians return to their planet with their honor and political structure intact. The Enterprise warps away to deliver the vaccine. The end. You know what's amazing? What's that? When you tell that story without the visuals, mm -hmm. it's okay. See? Yeah. I, sorry, and I know, right? I know we're skipping ahead on that, but yeah. if you just tell that story, well, I mean, if you watch this episode like blindfolded, yeah. would that be kinky? No, I'm sorry. <laughs> if you watch this episode blindfolded, would you come away with some terrible, like, because honestly, until I'm just listening to you tell this, mm -hmm. I, I, I have cringed every time I've watched this episode. Yeah. But that's because I was watching this episode. Right. All right. Let's go back, well, to, the, let's go back to the more like goofy stuff before we get into that, because that's going to come back around. But I am actually just stunned. I'm sitting here listening to it. Oh, well, that part's so – oh, well, that wasn't so terrible. Oh, but this part is so – well, actually, that part's not so terrible. It's all yeah. the visuals. Otherwise, I mean, it's, it's, it's not the worst story in the world. But boy, just you know, show five minutes of it, and it's the worst story in the world. I very specifically wrote it that way, and I hope that that came across. Interesting that, idea. The, yeah, that, that was the, the point of the recap this week, is to tell the story as a story, hopefully give a little credit to uh, Catherine, to the writer, yeah. uh, to say that, well, maybe this is why that episode got purchased in the first place, because on the surface, it's fine. Yeah. Absolutely it's, fine. I almost feel like we have to go back and, and and work on this episode for another hour or two. We're not going. Oh, <laughs> oh, we're not going to. But no, I mean, no, no, no. I'm actually yeah. going to be rediscovering this episode. I think as we do this episode of Mission Log, because if I can just remove all of that. Mm -hmm. But then again, it is a TV show that people watch, right? And you kind of can't remove all that. The novelization may be awesome. Yeah, there you go. Anyway, there's stuff. Well, 
there is fun stuff uh, before we get to the heavy stuff. Um, humanoid species with a history very similar to our own. All I kept thinking was, here we go again. Did they have Romans? Did they have Nazis on this planet too? You know, where <laughs> are we going to arrive? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's exactly. It's yeah. a good point. Thankfully, there's no exact replica of a city, a la Miri. Right, right, right. With all those enfants running around. Um, les enfants. Les enfants. Um, I, you know, I've mentioned it before, really two, well, today the third episode in, and um, I, I want to like Tasha Yar because I like the idea of a security chief who is a woman, mm-hmm. and I, I dug that, but seriously, I want to say calm down. Um, I, I hope at some point in the training at Starfleet, they just told all of their potential security officers, you chill out, you assess the situation before trying to kick butt. Have you ever seen a security guard at a nightclub? You know, they rarely do or say anything. Fun story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm at a bar one night. And I know what okay. you're saying. What? Yeah, I know. Right? Yeah. No, this is se- seriously several years ago. I'm in some bar mm-hmm. in uh, Somerville, Massachusetts, I think. Mm-hmm. And there were some people I don't even know. So I'm not going to be in this bar fight that you're about to hear about. Okay, but uh, but I'm, I'm with these people. I just met them that first time that night, and some guy in the bar is angry that people keep walking past him. Mm-hmm. And and the thing is, the whole bar is like there's a giant bar in the middle, and you can only go around the bar. So right. you either have to pass by that guy, or you have to pass by some other guy in the other place. And so it, it, at one point, he just gets mad, and he's like, you know, next time you go out, go the other way. To to one of the people that I'm with, and the guy's like, what? And he's like, next time you go outside, go the other way. And and then wow. one of his friends comes up and says, you got a problem here? And he says, no, we're all set. He pushes the guy who had, like, challenged him back into his friend. And all of that is just prologue to this. Nine. Nine guys <laughs> out of nowhere descend on the whole thing. I mean, everybody is absolutely frozen, cannot move, because all of a sudden there is security all over the place. Wow. And, and I would wow. not have even been able to tell you that they were there up until that point. Wow. That's pretty interesting, you know. Yeah. I mean, whenever you see, it's not, it's not terribly interesting, but it's. Well, <laughs> but whenever you see video of the president and Secret Service all around, and yeah. you know, going to you know meeting a diplomat or, or even just a, a, a citizen who's going to meet a citizen, you, you never see like a person extend their hand to shake it and then Secret Service like decking the guy, taking yeah. him down. You know, here, here, here's what I will say though, and since this episode is so completely disjointed, and I don't mean this episode mm-hmm. of Next Gen, I mean this episode of Mission Log, since it's so completely disjointed, I'm going to go ahead and defend her on this. Okay, everybody, everybody in at least the first season or so of Next Gen is fairly cardboard. They all have their parts. We don't get to more nuanced characters until later. I think very true. The yeah. cool thing is, we do get to more nuanced characters later. And mm-hmm. and they do sort of remember the things that they learned. I mean, in the original series, you would have. I mean, I always I always pick on Bones for this. We need somebody to be dumb this week. Okay, it's going to be him. Yeah. If Tasha, you know, I, I will be curious to see over the many seasons to come how her character develops. <laughs> but right now, I mean, she right. is she is she is what she is. Same as Data, and yeah. and we're going to see him evolve. Uh, Picard is who he is. We're going to see him evolve. I mean, it's. I, I I would give her a pass on this, and I would also say, um, actually, is sort of a more toned down character certainly than she was in Encounter at Farpoint. Oh sure, yeah. yeah. There, there, there's less yelling, yeah. uh, but but she is a plot device at that point. Yes, you know yes. That, that is purely what she is there for, and it, it is a little uh, this yeah, this, a little this, disappointing. this early in the run. I would say most of the characters 
<laughs> right, right. Really right. are that. And that's, you know, that's that's just happens to be where the show is right right this second. Can I ask a question about um mm-hmm. about the Enterprise? Yeah. So they come to this place that has no treaty with the Federation, right? Right. And they need to like do something to sort of, you know, make nice with them. And so apparently Picard has this like cargo hold full of like ancient earth antiquities. <laughs> Yeah. That he can just go to. He's like, oh, right, you know, right. we have old proud traditions on our planet. Here's something from the 13th century Song Dynasty. And I'm thinking, well, first of all, again, because of the visuals, I'm not sure why he chose that specifically. But the right. other thing I'm thinking, like, so if he landed on a planet that's like, ah, here you are, Amerigo of Vespucius, we would like to give you uh, this gift. This big fella's the David. Now, yeah, <laughs> we're going yeah. to get some guys to help you move it later because he's a little weak around the ankles and you don't right. want to damage him because seriously, we only have one and it's hundreds of years old. But here, this is this is for you because we really like your Slurpee technology and we would, <laughs> right. we would right. like to trade. It, yeah. just, it struck me as kind of odd that he's I mean, because there's got to be somebody on Earth going, uh, excuse me. Yeah. You know, maybe we could keep that. It's like when, um, what was the man trap? They were, when they were like cataloging and just shipping stuff off planet. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A- apparently, I mean, the good news is we're not just doing it with other planets. We, we, could, t- <laughs> we could talk about this for a very, very long time because I find the whole thing really fascinating for a couple of reasons. All right, first of all, let's project 200, 300 years into the future, and you have to assume that our own technology for doing things like archaeological digs has advanced tremendously. We already do things with, you know, ground-penetrating sonar to be able to see the outlines of ruins. Mm -hmm. So you don't even have to dig, and you can see, like, oh, there is a city there, there is a house there, you know. Um, So, yes, we, we should be able to find rare antiquities all over the place. The other interesting thing to me about this, though, is that in our quest to catalog these things, well, maybe some are reserved with the idea that we can give it away. It's a trading, bargaining, honorary device. But that is a physical thing that gets dug up out of the ground and put on a spaceship. Right. Does it Does it get beamed up to that spaceship? Because if it does, and you're breaking it down, and you're building a copy on a spaceship, couldn't you have saved yourself a lot of trouble and just replicated a ton of these things <laughs> and started handing them out? Where Where does the value of the object end at that point? Maybe Admiral McCoy actually <laughs> carried that up when he came up to uh, to inspect the Enterprise before he left. Okay, I'll give you that. I mean, that's a possibility. Because, right. I mean, you are actually, you're kind of blowing my mind right now. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, he could have. Now, it's also possible that the Song Dynasty was like the Stuckies of, you know, that ancient civilization. <laughs> they just right? kept cranking them out. Yeah, yeah. it's like, oh, we got a million of these, please. And my cargo hold is full of this. I got two for Christmas last year. No, seriously, <laughs> right, you would be right. doing me a favor. Right. I mean, I would be doing you honor. <laughs> right. What did I say? Speaking of transporter technology, it, it is interesting that uh, the Lagosians say that they are not as technologically Wait, advanced. Lagonians. Oh, Lagonians. Not I'm Lagosians. So yeah. I don't know who. They, I think we get to them in season eight. Yeah. Okay. I, I there, think I there, might have there is, spoken there is, earlier. There is a season eight, right? Yes. Yes. Of course. <laughs> yeah. So I apologize. I, I might have misspoken earlier in the show. But yes, the Lagonians, um, they say that they are not as technologically advanced they have their own transporter. They're cool with spaceships, mm-hmm. and uh, they have a like rave dance party uh, fighting platform. Yeah, um, they really got everything. They have absolutely no problem establishing communications with the Enterprise. In fact, they can tell when the Enterprise is not establishing communications the way they want them to. Why don't, yeah, why don't we yeah. try that the next time aliens come? 
Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, can you turn on your camera? Because I know you can see me because my technology is <laughs> that advanced, but I can't see you. And now let's talk about how technologically yeah. backwards I am. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that was a little weird. And uh, and speaking of my being pedantic, um, <laughs> uh, a vaccine and an antidote are not the same thing. There is a, a place in the show where they refer to it as an antidote, but all the other places they refer to it as a vaccine. And it sounds like you are opening what? yourself up to a whole lot of stellar matter emails just so oh, you know. that's fine by the way by the way yeah well I, I got some interesting ones on that yeah we'll talk about those some other time we'll come back to that in a second yeah. but yeah it, it sounds like they're not just talking about the projection of the disease spreading but the actual numbers and um what they need is an antidote if people actually already have the disease how do you watch tv <laughs> just like everybody else. Okay. Man. Well, no, I don't think so. I think yeah, I think well. I think you're I think you study TV more than watch it, which is cool. I mean, especially because you know you may actually have an exciting uh, career in the rewarding field of podcasting. <laughs> wow! Wow! How how kind of you to say. Um, let's talk about shaving as a human art form and technological perfection might mean shaving too close. Now, you really like that scene you told me. Well, I think we should come back to it actually. Oh, okay. I think it's a All big. Right. En- I think it's a big enough scene that we talk about it. I mean, it's and it's a it's a very short scene, but yeah, let's come back to that. Okay, no right. problem at all. You so you so can I? So there was something else that I was going to bring up, but you've got it here, and we can go yeah, ahead and yeah, go yeah, yeah, if you ahead. want to. You don't like how close this is to a mock time because I actually really appreciated it. Um, I, I felt like it was again a little too close, too soon. Yeah, see, I, I think I think that's because you've been watching uh, Star Trek for the past two years. Yeah. A mock time was 20 years ago by the time this episode comes on. I thought it was just an interesting plot device. And I didn't mm. feel like actually, because I tried to work it to figure out if they were doing the exact same thing and they weren't. I mean, there is the whole she gets what she wants. And well, to Pow was going to get whatever she wants. To Pow yeah. or to Pring? To Pow was going to get whatever she wanted no matter who won. Yeah. Luton here was going to get what he wanted no matter who won. But I mean, the actual mechanics of it don't work. I mean, she was not going to be married to Spock. Right? Yeah. Tapao yeah, was yeah. not going to be married to, to Spock at the end. Tapring was not going to, well, yeah, Tapao yeah. definitely wasn't going to be married. <laughs> no, to no, we, we know that. I'm sure. not wrong. I'm just, you know, <laughs> mistaken. Right. Uh, Tapring was not going to be married to Spock by the end of that. Um, and that was her goal. Luton yeah. really doesn't care much yeah. what, what happens here. Um, I, I don't know. It, they, they didn't strike me as so close. I actually liked the plot device, I liked the conniving aspect of that on both uh, Tabring's part and Luton's part. It's a good twist. I, I'll give you that. It, it is a good twist. But I, but I think, again, and you know... It's been 20 years since we've used it on Star Trek as well. I mean, it it's not has, been 20 years has. since you and I saw it. Yeah, yeah. But it's been 20 years since it happened. Well, again, I, I'll give you this. It, it feels more of uh, an homage with just a similar plot point than The Naked Now felt compared to The Naked Time, where it is not, in my opinion, not an homage, but just a direct rehash. So, <laughs> you know, again, it, it's it's close, but I do like the twist and I do like that we get a, a different kind of outcome. And, and, and here is what I would say. Um, mm-hmm. It certainly serves you well for Mission Log. Mm-hmm. But if you were just walking around minding your own, yeah, you watch a little too much Star Trek. <laughs> okay, good point. Good point. Hey, um, in the fight, they just totally killed a guy in the audience, and they just kept going. <laughs> I know, right? I, was, wow. And the game was rigged. The game was rigged because yeah. here's what happens, right? So, so Yurina 
loses her, you know, little cuff of death. Right. Yeah. Uh, and the guy dies and then Luton stops it and gives her back her cuff of death. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know much about battles to the death. Yeah. But I'm thinking Yard has got the upper hand. I don't think yeah, you get to yeah. stop the fight at that point and say, oh, 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 wait a minute. She fell. Let her get back up and dust herself off and make <laughs> right. sure everything's okay. I think that's the point where people really go bloodlust and people go like, you know, and then people start really banging their drumsticks together in, in very, in much more, much more serious ways. <laughs> right. Listening to Code of Honor, it may not be the worst episode. What happens though when words and pictures unite? So, as we were preparing for this episode, I kept trying to figure out if there was a way to write this episode and not have it be racist. Mm-hmm. And we talked about it a minute ago when you when you did the reading, and it turns out, yes, it is absolutely possible to write this episode without it being racist. In fact, this episode was written without it being racist. Yeah. Would you agree with that? I mean, written without it yeah, being racist. Yeah. Not, not a frame of it was filmed, except for the frames with Wesley up on the bridge. Not a frame of it was filmed without being racist, I don't think. Because this is racism sort of like all over the place in this episode, I feel I, like. I, I think I go back to the question then about uh, coming down to the firing of the original director, uh, yeah. Russ Mayberry. Because, okay, if he looked at that script and said, well, what I envision is that we have a bunch of actors, a bunch of black actors, and we sort of vaguely and not so vaguely mimic this, you know, 60-year-old style of what what Westerners thought of Africa. Mm-hmm. You know, the kind of thing that you see in pulp novels and stuff. All right, so that could have been his idea, and this gets signed off on by producers over producers over producers, and then they start shooting it, and either he is horrible or they realize that the idea is horrible, uh, then they make him a fall guy and fire him. I, I don't it's very hard to piece together the the actual story of what happened and who realized at what point yeah. that this is simply not working. But the story itself, and according to what people say, the script itself did not have any of that in it. The yeah. only thing that might have been mentioned is that when they first beam into the cargo uh, bay, that the guards around Hagon and uh, Lutan were black and that might have been it okay well that's kind of that's okay that gets a little weird it does it does but as weird as that is that might have been the only thing that was in that script that that even indicated at all the look and feel of the episode you know i i had a fascinating uh discussion and this is going to sound totally off base but Mm -hmm. you know so many of my things do I had a fascinating discussion recently with somebody who writes children's books. And the weird thing is she writes picture books, Hmm. but she has nothing to do with the pictures. It's very odd. So she'll write a story. Yeah, she'll write a story. And she's written like 20, 21, something like that. So she'll write a story. I mean, 20 or 21 that, that are published. I don't know how many she's actually written, but 20 or 21 that are actually published. She'll write a story. She'll send it to her editor. Her editor will then give that to an illustrator. And there's nothing in there about what it's about. So, like, I'm reading, like, some of her words on this story, and then she shows me the illustrations, and the illustrator has done it all with dogs. 
and hmm. it doesn't change hmm. the meaning or anything because it's a kid's picture book and the pictures are actually beautiful and the story still works and all that stuff. But it's just fascinating to me that you can write a script and not say they are, you know, they're, they're uh, purple with green polka dotted people. Or, yeah, you yeah. know, or they're African descended people or they're Native mm. American descended people or they're or they're all Asian or they're, you know, all white guys or they're all, you know, some completely alien race. Right. That right. you can actually you can actually write a script and just leave it up to somebody else because, yeah, all of a sudden you end up with something. I feel sorry for this writer because, I mean, this episode has to be anathema to so many people just because the visuals in it are so strikingly. I mean, I, you know, I just seriously, yeah. ow. So yeah. much of this is just ow. Well, and that's the thing. So way before we recorded this episode, we heard, at least I did, I, I don't know your conversations with people, but I heard so many comments and, and so many collective groans from mm-hmm. our listeners. And terrible and racist were the two most common notes that yes. I would get. Um, and they're, and not, I to, they're not wrong. They're not wrong. No, 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 they're not wrong. But, but I kind of wanted to wait and reserve final judgment because I wanted to to see how the story came together. And what's, I think, important here is what is the intention behind the story and the casting and the production, et cetera. Um, so I, I don't know if the idea of it being intentionally racist, which I don't think it was intentionally racist. I don't think right. that holds up. Um, it, it is short-sighted. It is unoriginal. It is offensive. It is outdated. Yes, these are among the many words that can be used to describe what happens. Yeah. Um, but I'm resi- I'm willing to reserve racist to an extent. Well, um, it feels to me what you have is a story about a culture that we would all agree is backwards. And mm-hmm, that would be mm-hmm. fine if these were... I don't know, people with three ears on top of their head instead of, you know, two, one on each side of their head. I mean, or it would they, be, they were reptiles or uh, they were, as originally described. Yeah. Yeah. OK, sure. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that would that would absolutely work. And then you'd be able to say, oh, well, that's weird. The problem is, I mean, the images that they use are so steeped in. I mean, there are Bugs Bunny cartoons that come on that you're like, holy crap. (laughs) Right, right. And why is that on TV? Because, I mean, we're past this at this point. And it's amazing in 1987, 86 or 87. It's amazing in 1987 that somewhere along the way, somebody didn't go, are you sure? Mm -hmm. You know, because man Mm -hmm. alive. Now, I almost feel like I want to go ahead and address some of the good things in this episode. Because we, I mean, it's, it's so hard to talk about this episode with anything like good. But there, I, I really do feel like there are actually some good things here. Can we can we move on to at least one before yeah, before absolutely. we go back into absolutely all right. yeah all right let me let me find one hold on <laughs> hold on ah okay okay we've heard the prime directive mentioned before we're only mm-hmm. three episodes into the original series I mean into the next generation mm-hmm. and we're getting a serious examination of the prime directive. Yeah. Now, we're not getting a 101 level course of the Prime Directive because I think they assume that people watching Star Trek have some idea. But they do, they do explain it a bit, right? Right. The Prime Directive, again, here is exactly what I've always sort of thought the Prime Directive became in the original series. It is, well, it's a code of honor is honestly what it is. Picard yeah. and, and, and Data and Troy, well, Picard and Troy basically say a couple of times, you know, it'd be really great if we didn't have a prime directive yeah. because we could, you know, and there, and there are any number of ways of that run. We could bring some armed guards down here and just take what it is we need. We could put a gun to their heads and make them give us back Yar and the vaccine. 
uh, certainly on some level they have to be thinking, we can actually trade so much technology that would really advance these people to get the thing that we need. Um, there is an examination. I mean, you, you assume that Code of Honor has to do with what's going on with Lutan and his people, or Lutan and his people. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, it's also going on with Picard. I mean, there, there's no there's no wink and a nod. There's no there's no Jim Kirk and Picard in this respect, right? I mean, Kirk would be trying to figure out how he could bend the Prime Directive a bit to get what he actually wanted. Right. And Picard is standing there going, I got this thing that I have to do because we all said these were the things that we were going to do. So I'm actually going to let this run its course much as I hate it because I've, I've, I've got my own code by which I have to live. And I thought that – I think that's a fascinating fascinating examination, especially – Three episodes in, three episodes in, and we're already we're already looking at the dilemma of being as good as you can possibly be. I'm glad they did it. I, I felt like uh, Troy has a line: "How simple this would be without the Prime Directive." Mm-hmm. And I, I thought, well, yeah, that's very true. But then, does the alternative even hold up as something believable for our characters? What is the alternative? Like you said, they they beam in with a bunch of armed Starfleet guards. They yep. take what they want. I, that's not even Jim Kirk. That's, you know, that, that, that is an act of war. And that, that is, that's walking into a convenience store and pulling a gun and stealing something because you can. Well, I mean, but I mean, you're, you're sort of jumping to the exact opposite. I mean, there's also the possibility of just stealing enough um, without anybody even knowing. You don't even have to come in with armed guards. They can locate where the vaccine is and they could just beam it out without anybody even realizing it was gone. Mm-hmm. Or they could bribe them. You know what we have? So you like your planet, right? I like your planet, too. How would you like to be able to see it from space? Because I've, I've got like five shuttlecraft that I'm not doing anything with. I mean, there are any number of things that they could do. But the Prime Directive, of course, states that they you know, can't interfere with the uh, development of a, of a society or civilization, right? And then we do an arms buildup with uh, a place that is sort of a, a tenuous We friend. didn't start it. <laughs> that was the Klingons, and we just gave them enough so that the other uh-huh. one would have enough, and so the other one and the other one. Uh-huh. That, was, that, was, yeah. that was actually that was a defense of the domino theory, but we can do that another time. Or yep. you can just go back and listen to A Private Little War if you want to know what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, I don't think – I mean, uh, the Prime Directive is – the prime directive is just what they have to live by, period. It doesn't even matter what it... I mean, she's right. It would be simpler if they didn't have the prime directive because there are any number of things they could do at that point. The prime directive is limiting them uh, from from getting what they need without going through the 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 the, 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 the rituals, the the, 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 the the path that's being laid out by the Lagonians. And, and that's really fascinating. I mean, they do have all of this might... And, and and what is stopping them from getting what they need and saving millions of lives is them. Yeah. Is them saying, this is who we are, and so then they have to act like who they say they want to be, which, you know, has always been one of my favorite themes of uh, some of the better episodes of the original series and the animated series. Yeah. No, I, I do love it. I mean, I, I love that we get to have that discussion and uh, and we know that it will come back over and over again i, I do feel like it, all the alternatives were bad and I, I just from an individual personal standpoint i don't think that any of those characters would have done something that resorted to stealing or a, a threat of violence although it was very interesting that picard had the what half dozen photon torpedoes explode in the atmosphere yeah. just to show off i mean that seemed a little out of nowhere but yeah. uh, that, was, that, was a, that yeah. was a tiny bit surprising i mean certainly he set them to go off in space so that's fine but he's yeah, very lucky yeah. that the next thing was 
And as a display of our force, I'm going to slit the throat of Tasha Yar. Yes. There are any number of yes. things that could have happened at that point. Luckily, um, well, luckily a lot of them didn't. Yeah. Um, it, it's interesting that we did the discussion on the Prime Directive, and we're also on some familiar territory here with uh, navigating and negotiating cultural differences. We we have seen some of that in original Star Trek, uh, Journey to Babel being one in particular. Um, there was a scene that really stood out to me, though, that, that, that scene where Picard is trying to reason with Lutan, mm-hmm. where, where they're on the planet and after we're... Uh, Yar and uh, Picard and Troy have had their discussion. And in my mind, the, Picard basically goes in to try to buddy up to Lutan. He's like, hey, hey, I get it, man. I get it. She's hot. And and Lutan, well, what do you know about that? And Picard says, no, 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 seriously, I get it. But, but I'm a ship's captain, so I have to keep my professional distance. But if I didn't, whoa, because uh, I get it. She's hot. And then Lutan, <laughs> Lutan says that women are pleasant. But really, it's just about the land that they own. And and Picard is like, oh, well, yeah, I, I, I get that, too. Totally. I yeah. totally get where you're coming from. And I kept thinking, is, is this how we negotiate with other countries? Like, is this a tactic that, uh, that, that a diplomat would use? Like, when we identify countries that carry out terrible human rights abuses, do we send somebody over there who says, oh, look, I, I totally understand. I have been the, wanting to hit that guy since I saw him. Good yeah, on you. Yeah, yeah. I get it. I get it. You you need to keep those people in, in squalor and working for you 16 hours a day for no money. I would do that if I could, really. But, but it just looks bad to others. So go with me on this one. You know, that's really difficult. And that actually, again, goes back to the whole thing about the Prime Directive. There's actually a fascinating mm-hmm. moment that I love between Yara and Yurina, where, where you know, she's trying to talk Yurina out of um, out of the fight to the death. And yeah. Yara says, you know, on my world, it would be more honorable. And Yurina says, you're on my world. Yes, I love that. Yeah. yeah. Which is, which is, I mean, it's an interesting question. Do I, yeah. <sighs> diplomacy is something about which I don't know a whole lot but I don't know that it's necessarily the worst thing in the world for Picard to just it's like um, well it is kind of bad though that's the thing Uh, you've had those moments have you not had those moments where somebody says something that you really disagree with but the question is okay am I now going to have a fight or am I going to be quiet Mm -hmm. and I mean I think that's what Picard does and in his place as okay well he's got somebody there whose life is in danger and he is also trying to get a vaccine to save millions of people's lives. And um, he's been charged by Starfleet to not, you know, muck up the whole thing. Right. I mean, do you just go ahead and go? <laughs> because it's pretty right, much what right. it's pretty much what he did. I mean, you say that he went down there and said, look, I get it. She's hot. He didn't even do that, honestly. In fact, he sort of disavowed. He did. A, he did. A, he did a miniature version of Kirk's speech in um, uh, The Naked Time. Honestly, mm. the whole I can't walk mm-hmm. on the beach, can't hold a lady because I got this ship, and it's you know, and and you know, it's it's a much bigger reveal for Kirk, and yeah. and and maybe it's because uh, Picard is a more understated character, or maybe it's because um, the writer was just writing him more understated, or maybe it's because um, Patrick Seward is a much more understated actor. Um, yeah, they, they he, they're like, yeah, oh, you understand women, right? You you get that she's hot, and he's like, well, yeah, kind of, but you know, I got it. Well. There's this one, mm-hmm. nah, but I'm the captain of a ship, so no, I really don't think about it that much. I mean, that's actually that to me is sort of a nod to you know whatever it is that's going on with uh, with him and Crusher. And may I just say, by the way, right, right, 
going to some of the interesting things, uh, other interesting things in this episode, we are developing things that I don't know that I noticed when I was 17 years old. Mm. Picard doesn't like kids. Picard does not like kids. He has made it very clear he doesn't like kids. But Wesley Crusher is sitting on the bridge. Yeah. Now, let us remember the last time we saw Wesley Crusher, he had taken over the ship. <laughs> right. right. Wesley Crusher is a little bit of a dangerous character to have, you know, even in ops. Hey, he, he was drunk. It happens to every that's, fifteen that, year old. That's, that's true. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the number of ships I took over when I was fifteen uh, and drunk without actually yeah. drinking. Um, I mean, so Doctor Doctor Crusher though comes in and she's like, I, you know, you know how you hate kids. I have a son, and I would like mm-hmm. for you to treat him nicer than any kid you've ever seen in your entire <laughs> life. And right. Picard's like, okay, I can do that for you. I mean, yeah, I mean, really, yeah. which is, it's, it's, it's an interesting development. I mean, his level of attraction, and I certainly didn't read this when I was a kid, but his level of interest or attraction to either, either his level of interest or his level of obligation to Crusher, and I do believe it's actually interest, um, that he's, that he's willing to do that is, is, uh, is kind of an interesting character, uh, character thing. As well, Go ahead. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's a great character thread. I, I like the idea that we establish early on that they have a bond. And yeah, part of that bond is an attraction for sure. Yeah. I, I think you're, you're spot on with that. Part of that bond is this emotional trauma that they share. Yeah. The, the very idea of Picard showing up with the body of the former Mr. Crusher. Yes. Um, it is really intense and and every she even just gives a look when he says i have seen death yeah um I, it's a great moment and uh, and you really want for more of that well, as we go forward to and, see how that plays out and one has to figure that having brought um wesley's dead father home though there yeah. doesn't seem to be a paternal bone in picard's body um i mean he may actually feel a bit of a, a bit of a um, paternal obligation mm-hmm. just i mean just just enough to do the right thing just enough to. to do the right thing he's not going to yeah. take him to the holodeck to go fishing or anything like that but i mean <laughs> right, just, right. just enough to be like well your mother says this would be good for you so i guess it's okay yeah yeah well and, and it plays out well i mean like we said before uh, that scene of putting wesley on the bridge again is a rehash of what we already did in farpoint but it, it, it's a little bit more comfortable. It's just a little bit more okay. And uh, and they kind of brush it off at the very end of the episode where he's like, uh, uh, what is it? Riker kind of stands up for him. Oh, oh, it was my mistake. We just, we, we had him there for a moment watching ops. Yeah. Which is interesting though, because Picard had done it earlier. Yeah. Can we go ahead and talk, uh, can we go ahead and do a couple of other character development parts? Yeah. Yeah. I like the fact that, uh, I mean, it's, I kind of wish this had happened later, but the fact that Riker is already having to, there was the discussion and encounter at Farpoint when Riker comes on and, and Picard's like, yeah, you didn't let your captain go down to the planet. And Riker's like, no, I did not, because it was dangerous. And Picard says, so the chain of command means nothing to you? And Riker says, chain of command means something to me, but the life of my captain means more. Mm-hmm. Two episodes later, we're like, well, guess what, pal? <laughs> mm-hmm. You are just going to have to suck it up and deal, because I have to go down there. And and they, they play it off for levity a little bit, but it is interesting to see. Um where so many characters and and I I defended Tasha a minute ago she's going to be cardboard because there's really nothing else for her to do yet we are already starting to see a bit of development with uh, with the Riker character and certainly with their uh, with the relationship between Riker and Picard right. I I also got to say I love the exchange between Data and Geordi um 
Data's desire to be human has always just sort of been Pinocchio, like they said in the first episode. It's always, mm-hmm. in my head, it's always been sort of wistful, like, oh, I wish I was human, but I'm not, but I'll keep trying. And here we actually see him working at it in a couple of ways. He's trying to understand the general reaction to humans of perfection, mm-hmm. and he's trying to grasp humor. And not just the whole, I mean, like, Savick doesn't even understand humor as well as Data does at this point, <laughs> right. you know? Right. As Kirk said to Savick in the lift, we learn by doing, Right. Yeah. And, and Data's already adopted that, and so he's told 662 jokes at this point, <laughs> right? Which are which are kind of a kind of interesting or amusing. Um, the idea that things can be too perfect for humans—I'm not that guy. <laughs> if I could, I, I shave my head, and if I could find something that would shave it even closer than I'm able to, I'd be more than happy. What it actually <laughs> reminded me of, especially putting myself back in 1987, was all the people who hated CDs. Oh yeah, right. They're, oh, right. They're, they're they're too clean. That, yeah. that was what I always heard. You don't get the warmth. You don't get, I like the crackle and I like the pop. And, you know, my thinking is I like the convenience and also I like the clarity. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, was, it was sort of an interesting, uh, it's an interesting thing. Now, I do wonder where the humans on the Enterprise would draw the line or even humans today. I mean, they're, they're probably, I, well, my dad, my dad still doesn't like CDs. He still likes mm. vinyl and he's got you know, seriously hundreds of vinyl records in his place, right? Um, my dad's not much of a flyer, but if he were, I don't think he would be like, you know, Charles Lindbergh got from the U.S. to Europe without GPS. <laughs> right. I'm just saying, I don't cotton to all this, you know, fancy newness. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. or, or like you're like uh, happy to talk about uh, vaccines. I'm sorry, antidotes. Yeah, yeah. Which, which one is it that you're into? Uh, well, it's usually antibiotics, actually. A- a- antidote or a vaccine. Yes. <laughs> one yeah. or the other. Yes. Yeah, you'll have to choose and then decide which one you want going forward. Yeah. No, but I, I know what you mean. It, it, it's um, it, There's something about it. I, what Jordi is talking about is tradition, it, it, and it's the ritual of shaving. Like, um, it, you know, there are people who still use the, the, the old beaver brush and the and the pot of shaving cream and it, because it's a ritual that they get to go through. Right. And they, they would rather not have an electric razor. And certainly Jordy's got the, uh, you know, the, the translucent blue like laser thing going on there. It's, it's very different from what we have now. Yeah, that's it's a, definitely that's, futuristic. That's his old fashioned razor. Right, right. But he right. has drawn the line that that is the old fashioned one that is just inefficient enough. See, it's, um, it's so interesting to me, though, that you say, oh, that's just tradition, because what it reminded me of was the Matrix. Hmm. When Agent Smith tells Neo, or no, it wasn't Agent Smith, it was the architect, who, uh, who uh, what's his name, Will Ferrell named Larry. Uh, <laughs> when the architect is talking to Neo, he's like, yeah, we tried the Matrix, or maybe it was Agent Smith, I can't remember. He's like, we tried a utopian Matrix, and you guys just kept you know, screwing it up and killing yourselves, because what mm-hmm. humans need is uh, bother. <laughs> and that's sort, of, that's sort of what I thought of as he's going, yeah, no, sometimes a shave can just be too close. And I was just like, oh, you know, this, this has TOS fingerprints all over it. <laughs> I have an idea for an alternate title for this episode. Try this on. Let that, seriously this time, be your very last battlefield. I feel bad. I feel like we have been giving away and giving away and giving away our wrap up of this episode uh, just from the beginning. Yeah. Um, and now maybe this won't have that much of a reveal for you. But I'm really pleased, Ken, to see that after doing the story recap, you, you might have had some second thoughts about this episode. Um, so we start out by asking, does the episode hold up? 
And uh, I pose that question to you. Not if you watch it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. If yeah. you're looking at this episode, no, it does not hold up. I, I kind of wish, as a thought experiment, it would actually be interesting to watch this with your eyes closed or to watch it with just the sound. Because then would I have this idea that this is such a racist, racist episode? And honestly, if this were a radio play... Or if I were reading this story and we just didn't do any reveal about about the about the skin tone and clothing, then I think this episode wouldn't be my favorite by any stretch of the imagination. But we would look at it as an alien race and say, well, how neat that we've evolved beyond that. The second that you make it something from a 1940s Bugs Bunny movie, mm-hmm. um, oh, man, it's just it is amazing that this got made when it did. It, it's just incredible that it got made when it did. I mean, and yeah. television is, of course, a visual medium. So, no, this episode doesn't work. There are many, 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 many ways that this episode could have worked. And they all involve not having a, a, a cast that's obviously descended from uh, from Africa. Yeah. And that's that's really honestly how this works. And I'm a huge fan, obviously, of casting people, uh, casting African-American actors or African actors or or people of color in all kinds of roles, except maybe this one. (laughs) This is one where I'd be like, you seriously got to do something else because this is just every 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 part of of me uh, rebelled against every part of this episode, except for the part with Data and Jordy. What about you? At least you had that. (laughs) that's true um no no the episode does not hold up but i i don't think that it's just for the obvious reasons really Um, yeah i mean we can debate the the relative racism of the episode what is intended versus what was shown um so gene fired the director maybe um but that seems to be too little too late if yeah. we already have the cast in place and you already have footage in the can. Oh, well, okay, if you already have footage in the can, if you're not going to go back and reshoot, because, I mean, here's the thing, dress them differently and change the accent. And yeah. you, and then you're still, at that point, you're going to have people going, I'm kind of uncomfortable with that. Mm-hmm. I mean, at that, and, and, and you would have a good case for still being uncomfortable with that. But, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's straight off the jungle ride in yeah. uh, in uh, in Disney World, which honestly, I'm I'm often surprised that that's still there. <laughs> right, right. But anyway, go ahead. I'm, yeah, I, I mean the, the the story itself. Uh, hopefully, we have shown it is okay. It, it, it's even a good story, mm-hmm. and you have this little twist at the end where we put the woman back in charge, which is kind of cool. Although it is um, weird that she immediately gives up that power again. Yeah, 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 yeah. That yeah. is true. Um, but yeah, the, the episode. Wow, we didn't even get to the sexism in this episode because we were so eaten up with the racism, weren't I we? Know, That's crazy. Oh my goodness! Let's. Yeah, we know there's sexism. Yeah, yeah there <laughs> you go. That. And normally we don't give that short shrift, but we interrupt our regularly scheduled program for. Oh my <laughs> goodness! Did you see what just happened? <laughs> right, right. Sorry to interrupt you. Please go ahead. Yeah, no, it, it doesn't. The, the show does not play right. It does not play right to our eyes now, and it hopefully, and I imagine, did not play right to the eyes of the audience in 1987. But then the question is: Is it inherently racist? And I, again, I go back to the script. You know, nothing in the script or the interaction would lead you to think that if the casting were different, if they were mixed races or if they were all lizard skin or pink fur, whatever it may be, 
um, maybe they would have just been another alien race that puts a high price on honor. Uh, I'm going to go a different tactic here as well and also say that I think the episode kind of looks cheap. And I don't know if this is a director thing or not, but the lighting is very harsh and flat, particularly on the Enterprise. Um, the scenes on the planet really just look like so many objects stuffed into a stage. Mm-hmm. Um, the fighting platform, maybe it looked cool in 1987. It does not look cool now. Um, it looked cool from that long shot when you have those beams of energy shooting way up into the sky. Oh, that did look neat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but that, the, that's it. Painting. Yeah. Um, just it doesn't add up. It is a mess in every way. Um, and I'm even comparing that to Farpoint. Clearly, they put a lot of money into the pilot because there was a lot of pressure for that pilot in terms of effects, sets, etc. This wasn't able to carry on that tradition from the pilot and make something bigger and grander for TV. So, no. Does it hold up, Ken? No. <laughs> no, it does not hold up um, yeah. for a myriad of reasons. But but maybe there are messages here to be, uh, to be mined from the story. What did you pick up from it? Well, when you're out buying razors, two blades is plenty. Mm-hmm. That's totally. It. That's really about it. I, I, I honestly, I, I, I'm, I, I'm so sorry. I just got so stuck. I got so stuck to the point that I actually talked to, uh, I did something I don't normally do. You and I have talked before about how we sit in a vacuum and watch these. I actually tend to, I think, sit in more of a vacuum than you do because I just, I just want to see what I see. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And knowing that we were recording this, I actually called a friend of mine who's fairly well versed in Star Trek. And I was like, I, you know, just give me a little something here. Give me a little guidance. And the one thing that I was holding on to actually was the fact that it's fairly um, pro-female at the end, right? Mm-hmm. So Tasha wins, but what she immediately does is she throws herself on Yurina uh, to 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 beam her back up to save her, to give her back, you know, uh, to give her back her choices, to let her make a more fully informed decision, to let her make a more reasoned decision. She no longer yeah. has the bloodlust. She no longer she's no longer defending her husband. Right. She's no longer defending her marriage, and she's no longer defending her her social status. What she is now able to do is, free of all encumbrance, make a decision. To which my friend said, oh, okay, so you're fine with the colonial coming in and saving the backward society from itself. I was like, son of a... Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I mean, there's there are just so many ways. But again, I think it's all tied to the visuals. I yeah. I, I yeah. almost want to do this episode over. And, I, and, and only because... <sighs> The writing is not as terrible as, as as it seems, but as I said earlier, television is a visual medium, and the visuals in this are just so stymieing that I, I, it was not out of desperation that I found the interesting character things. I like watching the characters that we know and love develop into other characters, mm-hmm. or into more fully realized characters. Um, but those really are what I pulled out of this episode. They're not big enough that I don't think you could skip this episode and be fine. I would honestly, I would say, if you want an absolute full understanding of everything that Star Trek has ever been, then you have to go ahead and watch this episode. But Mm. if you're okay just getting a pretty good understanding and and watching really great episodes of Star Trek, oh, for some reason this one won't play, I'm going to go ahead on to the next one. I mean, it's it's that brutal to me. It's just... I, I I have felt icky the whole week getting ready for this episode just because the visuals are whew. you know it's interesting I, I don't remember this one from 
Yeah, first me neither. Run. Me neither. You know, yeah. People are, like, you, people are like, "Oh, you're going to do Code of Honor," and "Oh, I'm, I feel so bad for you." And I was like, "Well, how bad could it be?" As you pointed out earlier, we did Spock's brain. Yeah, I miss Spock's brain. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, th- this episode is kind of like the perfect storm of having a a script handed off to a director and a production team. Again, you can't just lay blame at one person, but. Uh, it's the perfect storm of misguided, misinterpreted, and bad ideas all coming together, and that's what ends up getting shot, and that's yeah. what ends up getting broadcast. And it is kind of amazing that this goes out in 1987, and people are like, well, I'm going to stick around for next week. <laughs> you know? Um, I, I, I do feel, get better. I do feel at this point that we should pause for a moment and say, Seriously, Ian, there are some fantastic episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation coming up, and we both yeah, 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 and, yeah. And, and we cannot wait to get to them. But but we have to be honest, and we, we have to do our duty and, and carry our mission, which is to look at everything and, and try to treat it as honestly and sincerely as we can. I believe, you know? I believe it was the great Western philosopher uh, Nick Lowe who said, you got to be cruel to be kind. I remember that very yeah. well. Yeah. So, in the right manner. Yeah. Well, it's a, um, it's a very, very, very good sign. <laughs> so, Ken, I, I do think it's not necessarily a message, but that there is a, a bit of Star Trek, uh, a thread of Star Trek in this that I like that we've seen before and we'll see again, particularly with Picard as our captain now. Tread carefully with new and unknown people. Get to know the language. Mm-hmm. Learn a little of their culture and speak on their terms. I, I do really like that scene, even though it's a little weird, with Picard having the drink with Lutan. Mm-hmm. Um, it, the whole thing is this negotiation of trying our best to be respectful. It does raise the question of when do we ask that of another culture? Or is that purely on us, uh, us being Starfleet in this case, because we're the ones with a need. We need that vaccine. So now we've got to play by all of their rules. At what point do we say, hey, can you meet us halfway? Because we have some things to offer you as well without being colonial and imperialistic and and forcing our values upon them. Um, but that was the the interesting part of the negotiation to me. Yeah. So it's not and, necessarily a message, but it but it is a through line. And there, there is one other thing that I would add. What what I was saying about watching the characters develop, um, also the examination of the prime directive as well. And it's mm-hmm. not it's not like the whole. I mean, it's not the it's not the thrust of the show. But I mean, to see them sit there. It's like if you had a gun on the table, but you had sworn that you were never... Well, it's exactly like that, actually. But you're sworn mm. you're never going to pick up the gun. Ah, man, the gun's right there, and I really need that thing that guy's got. So I'm, yeah. I'm going to keep talking to him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even though what I want... Uh, yeah. Anyway. I don't know. It's I, I can't imagine that people are going to... You know, people may have a thing or two to say about this episode. Either this episode of uh, of, of Star Trek The Next Generation or this episode of Mission Log. Um, if if people want to do that, a number of ways to get in touch with us. Do you want to tell them, John, or should I? Sure, I'll tell them. Okay. Um, and, and thank you again, everybody, for the feedback. We do appreciate it, and we do address it. And apparently, um, I even read it sometimes. Oh, no. Good for you. Good yeah. for you, Ken. Yeah. Um, 
Facebook, Skype, and Twitter are all three places you can reach us under the handle Mission Log Pod. You can call in your comment at 323-522-5641. You can email us in the old-fashioned, traditional, ritualistic way, missionlog at roddenberry.com. And uh, we do have a lovely home on the internet, missionlogpodcast.com, as well as trekmovie.com, where we are featured there in the media player. Um, Remember, we may use your comments, as we did today, on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. I can't believe we are already reaching the end of Star Trek The Next Generation, John, but apparently we are, (laughs) because next week, The Last Outpost. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. Thanks for joining us today. Next week, another exciting episode. That is not Code of Honor. And transmission. <laughs>